Uh, for those of you that are new or don't know me, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, and I just want to welcome you. Uh, today we continue in our series in the book of Romans. Uh, and, and the way we have it titled is called The Way Forward. Uh, and right now, I feel like it, it, unless you're living under a rock and, and you uh, don't know what's going on, but you can turn on the TV, you can talk to people around you, you know what's going on in the news, uh, and for many of us, whether it's in our personal life or even in, in our community, many of us are asking the question, what is the way forward? Uh, and so here in chapter 8, Paul continues to talk about that, and I'm excited to share with you uh, what he has to say. Uh, and so before I do that, let me uh, read today's text. We'll pray, uh, and then we'll get to work. So the text this morning comes from uh, Bring Your Own Tumblr. Uh, so if you're having coffee, it's the, it's the next one. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to uh, join us in that. Or you can just look at the screen. And the Word of the Lord says this, Who shall se- separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything in all of creation, anything will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, thank you so much that you have brought everybody here this morning regardless of what's happening in their own lives. And God, as we sit here, we don't know everybody's stories, but some of us are, are wrestling with, with who you are and, and, and doubts and skepticism, and, and some of us are wrestling with, uh, with sorrow and suffering and pain. And God, we just ask you that this morning that you become the God of miracles to those of us, including myself, that need a miracle in our lives. God, we pray for the things even outside of the walls of our own church. God, we pray for an audacious prayer for California with all the fires that are happening. God, would you come? Would you bring peace? Would you bring the needs? Would you bring whatever it requires to bring safety and solution? God, we pray for the our society, whether, we, whether it's violence or racial injustice or, or even homelessness and poverty, God, we see that all around us. Would you speak to that? Would you use us to become a catalyst for hope and healing and restoration? That we wouldn't just be a people that talk the talk, but we would be a people that reflect your love and grace to the world. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, so this morning I'm going to start off with something a little controversial or, or a little debatable. Uh, and it says, I believe, and maybe some of you guys are, if you're in the similar generation as I am, 
you also believe that one of the greatest basketball players ever to live is none other than Michael Jordan, right? And I know that there's a lot of debate over this because some people will say Michael Jordan, some people will say LeBron James, some people might say somebody else, but I truly believe that the greatest basketball player to ever walk the earth to this day is a man named Michael Jordan. And regardless of who you believe is the greatest basketball player of all times, we can't deny all of his accomplishments. Six national championships, five-time MVP, the leading scorer ever in the uh, Chicago Bulls history, played in the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, the list can go on and on and on of all of his accomplishments. And even to this day, reporters and people in sports history will, will interview him and ask him and say, uh, Michael Jordan, what was your secret? What is it that day in and day out that helped you, compelled you to become the athlete that you were? I mean, it was no accident that, be, that he became one of the, we can all agree on that, the, the greatest athletes of our time. And the funny thing is that as people would ask him about, uh, you know, what his secret was and what he did, the irony of Michael Jordan's response was never about gloating of his skills or, his, or even his accomplishments or his natural abilities uh, or all the greatest wins that he's ever had. Actually, to the contrary, when he reflected on what brought so much success, uh, the irony of all of this was he said it wasn't any of that. It was actually the failures. It was the pain of losing. It was disappointment. It was from injuries. It was from suffering from all the ways that he let the team down. And I love one of his, one of his quotes that reflects this. He says this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And then he says, and that is why I succeed. I love this. And not to mention, in, in 1978, as a sophomore in high school, he was cut from his high school basketball team. Can you believe that? He was cut from his basketball team. And again, the irony of his growth, of his transformation, of the way that he became one of the greatest players of all times, what drove him, what motivated him, came from not the victories and the wins and the accomplishments. It actually came from the pain, the disappointments, the suffering that he experienced in his career. And as we continue in Romans chapter 8, again, for the second time already in eight chapters, Paul brings up this idea of suffering. And we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, but it seems important that Paul, the writer of Romans, brings up this idea of suffering again. He talks about suffering. It was a real thing then. We all have experienced that it's a real thing now. Today, it's a real thing for our future. And I can't help but to think of people sitting in this room, suffering, pain, disappointment. That seems to be a reality for us, for you, that you're sitting here. 
And I don't know everybody's story, but I do get the privilege to hear some. And maybe the suffering and the pain and the disappointment comes from your job, your family, maybe an illness, maybe an addiction, maybe loneliness or depression or or anxiety or, again, just turning on the news and seeing the depravity of humanity. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your children, whatever it is. Many of us, we have experienced suffering in, in one way, one aspect, one element of our lives or another. That's just the reality. It, does, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you've ever been to church before. It doesn't matter if you ha- have worked at a church or if you believe in God all your life or you don't believe in God at all. We can all come together and agree that in life, there's just suffering, And it's so important that Paul, this may sound redundant if you've been coming here week after week, but we're talking about this again. Because this is something that we all experience. And what we have to do is we have to dig in a little bit to the first century history of Rome when Romans, the book of Romans, was written by Paul. And we talked about this a lot, but just as a reminder, in 40, like mid-40s AD, the Jewish Christians were expelled from Rome. About a decade later, the emperor who expelled them, Caesar Claudius, kicked them out. And then finally, when Claudius died, the Jewish Christians were able to come back. But the reality of it was they came back not to a better situation. And because some of you guys, if you are familiar with ancient civilization, ancient history, the, the, the emperor that they came back to, even though they were able to come back, uh, was a man named Nero. And, and he was deemed as one of the most evil emperors in the history of human history. And he hated Christians. And when the Christians, the Jewish Christians came back, they were beginning to experience persecution due to the emperor Nero. And some of the persecution that it entailed was not just, uh, you know, them being treated as as second-class citizens and and wrongful uh, taxation, but even to the point of death, where Nero would actually stake Christians for their beliefs, light them on fire, for streetlight. He would also uh, crucify those that believed in Christianity. Now, we, we, we look at the cross and, and we think that crucif- cruci- uh, being crucified was unique to Jesus. It wasn't. Crucifixion was a pretty normal way of practice of putting people to death, especially those that went against the emperor. And not only would they just crucify these criminals and people that were disloyal to Caesar, but they would crucify him in a very public square, which we would deem as maybe a plaza, maybe a mall, maybe a shopping center, where people, line after line, would be crucified just so the Roman Empire Nero can send everybody a message saying, you will not disobey me. I am the king. I am not only the king, but the Lord. Because remember, religion and politics were all intermingled. And and, and what we come back to is, though the Christians were able to come back to Rome, they didn't come back to a better situation. They experienced suffering. Just because of their belief, they were crucified. Because of their uh, belief, they were put to death. Because of their belief, they were pushed out of of society and treated as second-class citizens. 
Because any other worship outside of Nero was cause for death, was for a lesser life. And it's in this backdrop that Paul writes Romans. And earlier in the chapter, he says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and the co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, I, I want to read that again. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, that will be revealed in us. Paul's thesis in this, in all of chapter 8, is this. Suffering is not just an unfortunate experience. Suffering is not just a a tough season that you have gone through or that you will go through. Suffering, when uh, viewed in the lens of of humanity and the way that God created us, uh, suffering becomes a prerequisite for transformation. And many of us, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear this, but the reality is what Paul is saying, suffering isn't just a terrible time that you're going through, suffering becomes a gift. Suffering is what we go through in order to experience transformation. In other words, the hardship that we experience, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the redemption and the transformation is waiting on the other side of that. And because we have such a narrow view of time, of God, of hope, we sit here in this space of just hopelessness and darkness because of our suffering and our pain and our sorrow when we don't realize it's on the other side of that where there's growth and transformation and really a new life. The problem is we quit. We tap out before we see this suffering and how God uses this to transform our life to completion. And I would say that it's due to a a, a huge problem that we have, including myself, here in the West, what I would call uh, that, that we're plagued with the now syndrome. The now syndrome. We want things now. We live in a hypermobile and a hyper-technological society uh, where we have access to anything, anything, at any time. And it's usually by the click of a button on your cell phone. You want something right now, you just go on your phone and you Amazon Prime. And I, I, you know, there's nothing against Amazon. I love Amazon. And we have a lot of Amazon employees here. Thank you for the work that you do. Because now I can just purchase things by pushing a button. And this is a true story. I mean, a few months ago, maybe about a year ago, I was at the gym. Uh, and we were working out. And we were missing a piece of equipment, a kettlebell of a certain weight. And instead of waiting a week or go out, you know, because heaven forbid someone have to go out and buy it and bring it over, or even order it online, somebody Amazon primed it. And so that piece of equipment arrived to the gym after we're all done with our warm-ups. It was perfect. Because heaven forbid we, us, we wait a week or a few days or go out and actually purchase something, we just had it delivered right to our place. 
And I know this is what I'm guilty of. Anyone else have used like Uber Eats? I don't need to drive. I don't need to wait in line. I don't need to change into adult clothes. I just sit on my couch. And then all of a sudden, food is at the front doorstep of my house in minutes. Or even Netflix or Hulu or whatever you want to call it. There's no, remember the days where you had to wait till next week for the newest episode? No more. No more is there that weekly wait for the brand new episode. You just click next, and you can watch the entire season, every episode of Friends in one sitting. Don't pretend you've never done anything like that, because you have, and I know that I have as well. Or even the internet, uh, faster is always better. Uh, There was a time where we had to push a button because of our landline. It would make this weird noise. Remember that? And then now we complain because uh, the connection is a half a second slower because the signal has to be sent out somewhere out into the world, has to be sent back. And you're like, how dare you take more than half a second? I am upset because we want something now. We want change now. We want to purchase things now. We want information now. You know, we live in a day where like, you don't know something? Oh, easy. Break out your phone and Google it. Information right there. 90% of it is wrong. But hey, guess what? You can still feel good about the information that you have. Or or remember the, the days when we were in school and we would do math uh, and, we, you know, we don't want to use calculators. And I remember my teacher would always say, you're not going to always have calculators for that instant number. Well, we do. <laughs> my cell phone is on me at all times. Therefore, my calculator is on me at all times. My teachers were lying to me. <laughs> and when you get into a fight with a, with a friend, with a spouse, maybe with their children, you want to end things. That's it. And I would say it's because of this now syndrome that we have, instant information, instant gratification, instant purchasing power, instant access. And and as we live in this now society, now, now, now society, we can't help but to have this apply even circling back to our times of pain and suffering. We want healing now. We want things to change now. We want to grow now. We, want to ex- we don't want to experience the uncomfortability because we want things to be better right now. And we convince ourselves that anything short of the now brings about doubt and self-pity and skepticism and an overarching hopelessness. And all over here, uh, Paul talks about this idea of glory. We get to share in his glory. And what we have to know about glory is this, is that glory is this original, in this original word is the word doxa. That's in the Greek. Many of us have probably heard this word doxa before. That's what glory means. In the actual definition, the way that the first century writers meant it, is this idea of full manifestation. Full manifestation. We get to share in the fullness of Christ. We share, or better translated, we receive, when we, when we commit our lives to Christ, we receive Jesus' fullness in order to experience the fullness of which he offers. And let me just say it this way. We have the ability 
to fully, fully, in full manifestation, identify with Christ. Not just in his resurrection, which many of us want to do. We just want to identify with Christ in his resurrection, but not in his death. In order to fully know Christ, in order to be fully connected with Christ, in order to be fully uh, in relationship with Christ, in order to fully receive from Christ, there's this glory that we have to share in with Christ. And that's not just one part of Jesus' life, but it's the full manifestation of who Jesus is. That's what brings about transformation. That's what brings about growth. And the fullness of the manifestation is not just his resurrection, but it's also his death. The reason why resurrection is so meaningful, right? The reason why resurrection is so, so meaningful is because there was a death. And the reason why death is so meaningful is because there was a resurrection. You can't have one without the other. You can't have growth and, and, and transformation and even joy, a true sense of joy, not just happiness, but joy. You can't have that without the suffering. And as, as followers of Christ, what we believe is that even in suffering, we know that there's going to be joy and transformation and redemption. And, and we think that we link that back to who the, per, uh, the person of Jesus. And we identify with Christ who endured suffering on the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Not just death, any other death, but death on the cross like a criminal. He's experienced suffering, but the reason why the suffering is so beautiful is because we know that though that happened on Friday, Sunday, Easter will always come. Easter is special and significant and sacred only because Good Friday happened. And Easter is able to happen because Good Friday has happened, and Good Friday happens because only, only because Easter has happened. Paul is saying suffering by definition is painful, yes. But again, it becomes a prerequisite to, to, to transformation because then and only then we can fully, fully participate with Christ and what Christ has done. And it's in that identification of suffering that we experience is what we experience with Christ. And then we experience transformation, which is the resurrection that Christ experienced. And that brings out joy and peace and healing and oneness. Another word for atonement, oneness with Christ. And let me put it another way. You can probably think about this even in your own life practically. I mean... You don't have to say it out loud, but think about some of the darkest seasons that you've ever had in your life. And I understand that hindsight is always 2020. But if you think about the dark seasons of your life, the very experiences, the very experiences that just suck life right out of you became the very things that brought life back into you. The very things that caused you pain and sorrow uh, and heartache. We look back and those were the very things that have molded us and shaped us and taught us how to live differently and how to live 
more beautifully. It's kind of like a fight with a friend or your spouse or, or uh, a good friend or your best friend. And though at the time it, it's painful and at the time, uh, you know, you feel a big disconnect, like you understand that there's something wrong and yet you look back and it was those very, it was those very fights and disagreements that if done well, are the very things that bring you closer together. And so Paul's encouragement in, in their suffering, Paul's encouragement in our suffering is A, yes, by definition, suffering is just painful, but it is a prerequisite to transformation because when you experience suffering, you know what it felt like to be Jesus. And when you can be fully aligned and in sync with who Jesus is, that is what brings about transformation, brings you to the other side, to the resurrection. So many of us, we're living in this Good Friday metaphor. We're living in this death, whatever that is that brings you death and suffering and pain. We're right here. Christ has experienced that. And when Christ is saying, I'm not going to let you sit there, death will never have the last word. Love and resurrection and peace and joy, that is what always, always, always has the last word. But what we have to do is defeat the now syndrome. Because there's something in that space of suffering and pain that God is doing and working within us to bring us. And it's only because we're experiencing or have experienced this is the only reason why we can come out on Easter Sunday. And the reason why Sunday and life and new life can happen is because what happened on Good Friday. And so the paradox of this Christian life is the things that brings you the most pain and suffering and loss and anxiety and depression and whatever it is, ironically, those are the very things that were needed, that is needed for you to come out and experience new life. New life. And so what does Paul encourage us to do? He says, in this now syndrome, forget that, he says, wait with confidence. <clears throat> wait with confidence for the creation waits an eager expectation better translation of expectation in the original context is confidence for the creation waits an eager confidence or expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope Great. Let me just read this. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says, For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22 says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. I mean, I want you to think about that image. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, have, who, who has the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inward while we wait for adoption and redemption. I love the imagery that Paul uses. It was no accident that he's saying, I know that you're frustrated. The creation is groaning like the pains of childbirth. The whole creation groans. Another way of saying, even though you believe in God, even though you do all the right things and say all the right things, guess what? In your life, you will experience suffering. You will experience the fact that there's something in the world that is just not right. And so the creation groans. Like, what is wrong? What is happening? It it promotes this feeling of frustration and ache and even confusion. And again, it doesn't matter whether you consider yourself a Christian, an atheist, a God-hater. It doesn't matter. We can all agree that sometimes we feel so unsettled in life because, whether it's in our personal life or in the lives of others or even out in the world, something isn't right. We see injustices all around us. In our society, we see racism, we see violence, we see hatred, we see homelessness, we see illnesses, we see addiction, we see loneliness. We see all of this, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. We see it. And even in all of this, the first instinct that many of us would have is either I give up because something isn't changing right now, or what, what Paul is offering is wait in confidence. Wait, because on the other side of that is resurrection, it is new life. And he, and he audaciously uses the analogy of, of labor. Now, uh, I've never been in labor before. Uh, I would guess, I wasn't there, but I would guess that Paul himself has never been in labor uh, before. But he uses this analogy uh, of pregnancy. So from what I've heard, uh, and what Paul has probably heard, is that uh, there's this paradox in pregnancy. That as a new life is, is inside of a human being, it's uncomfortable. The, the actual labor is painful. Even Genesis 1 says that uh, the labor will be painful. And yet on the other side of that pain is new life. Is new life. And there's this paradox where there's fear and maybe any of you that has been pregnant, you can, you can resonate with this. There's fear, yet there's excitement. In labor, there's pain, and yet outside of the, after the pain, there's new life. When you're in labor or you're pregnant, there's giving up of an old life. We all know that. There's giving up of an old life for the sake of a new. There's discouragement, yet hope. There's uncertainty, yet peace. In the Christian life, just like being in labor, what Paul says, in the Christian life, we are given the supernatural ability to hold the paradox of life and death, of sorrow and joy, of tears and laughter. The paradox 
together. And I'll be the first one to admit I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. But yet the reality of the Christian life is that even in your time of suffering, in pain, in tears, it's not saying let's ignore it, let's sweep it under the rug, let's pretend it never happened. In the Christian life, what we're saying is that you can hold that. You're suffering. And you can hold joy and hope together. Because something happens when we do that. God transforms us in our identification with what Christ did for us on the cross. He experienced death and pain and sorrow and hurt. On the cross, he says, God, this is so painful. Yet, let your will be done, not mine. And so many of us, we have to uh, kick the now syndrome out of us and say, you know what, sometimes in life, what's required in order for us to move from, from ugly, from pain, from sorrow to tears, to peace and transformation, what is required is for us to hold the two together. And what the author N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, what he always talks about is the already but not yet. We've already experienced and received Jesus' healing and transformation, but not yet. We can hold the two together. And it's through that that Christ brings about transformation. I remember when just a few years ago when my grandmother died. It's one of the hardest things that my family had, had ever gone through. It's one of the hardest things that I had ever gone through. And yet I remember at her funeral, one of, uh, an older gentleman from her church came up to me and says, Prentice, you should be happy because your grandmother now is in a better place. She's healthy. She's not sick or hurt or in pain. And I remember when the person said, Prince, you should be happy. I remember feeling so much anger inside of me. So much anger because of the pain that I was going through. And yes, that is a reality. And yet, as I continue to pray and as I continue to seek like, the truth, I couldn't help but to go back to what the person said. Even in my anger. Even in my sadness, even in my mourning and lament, the reality is that, yes, I can hold both. Though I was angry at the time, now I can think back and say, yes, I can hold both. Yes, I was angry. Yes, still sad. Yes, there was a loss. And yet, I know that she is with Jesus and without pain. And without sorrow and without hurt and with a resurrected body. See, sometimes life requires death. And death produces life. And sorrow and joy can sit side by side. Are you willing to, to be able to wrestle with that? Are you, are you willing to stay in the game? Are you willing to ask God, what is it that you have for me? Because the problem with this, this now syndrome, the, the this or that, is become, we become uh, so extreme that we don't want to wrestle with anything. We're afraid. 
We want the answers now. We want the healing now because we don't want to go through the uncomfort, the discomfort. We want the right formula. We want the right instruction and just call it a day. We do that even with our faith. We don't want to wrestle with our faith. And, and I just, this is a little bit of a side note. I want to encourage us that uh, my encouragement to you as your pastor is that we should always be wrestling with our faith. We should always be asking questions. We should always be trying to navigate the reality of the scriptures and God, what are you saying to me? Instead of just seeking out that I want the answers now. It's either black or it's white. You know what? Sometimes it doesn't work that way. You know, our, our suffering, our, our life, it doesn't work that way. Pain and sorrow and joy, it doesn't work that way. In, in our faith, when we wrestle with the scriptures, not everything is black and white. It requires us to just wrestle with it. That's the paradox we can live in. And as we wait with expectation, we can have confidence because what Paul says is this. There's an unstoppable force. There's this, uh, in chapter 8, there's this crescendo. I don't know that much about music, but I think crescendo is like this pinnacle uh, of something. And he says this. Who shall separate us? We go back to the verses that we read. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And we, we just read this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. They're the one who loved us. <laughs> for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that Christ has for you and for me. Even in your suffering, even in your pain, Paul is saying there's nothing that will stop the love of Christ entering into your life and transforming you out of death and pain. Uh, are you hopeless because of the downward spiral of humanity? Nope, that's not going to stop. Uh, are, are you feeling down because of our nation and, and all the things that are happening? Nope, that's not going to stop God's love from entering to transformation. Are you doubtful because of your own personal mistakes that you've made in your life? Nope, sorry, that's not going to do it either. Nothing is going to stop God's love from entering into giving and graciously being bestowed upon you. Nothing can stop that. Not even life, not even death, nor angels, nor power. Nothing will stop the love of God to enter into your life. No sin, no mistakes, no regret will ever stop the love of God. Your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriage, in whatever it is, is it, is it going downhill? Are you hurting? Is there division? That's not going to stop. God's love is going to come and redeem. You don't see the light at the tunnel. I'm sorry, but that's not enough. God is going to redeem. But we have to know that all of this happens when we enter into the paradox of suffering and transformation. It goes hand in hand. And this isn't a green light just to make mistakes 
and, and do all the wrong things because you know uh, that Christ will bring redemption and transformation. Uh, I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, all over Scripture and all over Romans, we already read, Paul say, by no means. No, we still seek goodness and beauty and, and live a life that God has created us to live. Even more so, we're responsible for that. But at the same time, we know that life isn't perfect. Life isn't perfect. And suffering is a way that we identify with Christ. So are you suffering right now? And I'm going to invite the band to come back up as, as they lead us into a time of reflection. Are you suffering right now? Are you hopeless right now? Are you feeling that like, like there is no light at the end of the tunnel right now? Are there relationships that are headed towards a downward spiral in your life, right? Is your relationship with God not right right now? Are, are, are there troubles in your, in your family, in your finances, in your job? And my hope and my encouragement to you is to know that it's those very things, the pain and the sorrow and the tears that we cry, it's those very things that move us to transformation. And so suddenly what we deem as a thorn in our flesh, the very things we want to get rid of right now, 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 are the very things that are going to bring about life and growth and healing. I'm going to end with this part of this book I read called Still by Lauren Winters. And, he's, and she's talking about her major way of suffering in her life is through her loneliness and depression. And in one part of her book, and I think I've read this before, she says this, the loneliness came in an instant, more sudden than weather. For the first three hours of this day, I was perfectly placid in my seclusion. Now I feel as though I'm about to disappear. Huh. But she says, but I can stay in this for five minutes, I tell myself. I don't have to exercise or open a bottle of gin. I can ask the loneliness a.k.a. the suffering, what she has for me. Uh, I tell the suffering or the loneliness to pull up a seat. I notice she does not look so very threatening after all. She has a touch of the doe about her, actually. She is clutching a handbag made out of fat white beads, and she smells of rose water. We sit next to each other on my screen porch sofa with his faded hibiscus fabric and frame wicker. I lean back. I breathe. I ask her the suffering. I ask her where she's from. And she says, over the mountain. What mountain, I wonder? I haven't lived near a mountain for years. And she ends with this. She says to suffering, I ask her, what she has for me. 
And, and many of us, maybe that's the same question that I end you with is this. We ask, and it requires courage because the easy thing for us to do is say, suffering, go away. Suffering right now, I want transformation. Suffering right now, I want healing. I want answers right now, right now, right now. When God is saying, no, sit in that because you can hold both suffering and, and, and transformation and joy. You can hold that together. And it's only when you hold that together, you can come on the other side as a new creation. But maybe some of us, our, our prayer this morning is suffering. What do you have for me? What is in this that you want me to learn? How in this am I able to grow? Because oftentimes those are the very things that it, had you not gone through those times, you, had not, you would have not come out as a transformed person with healing and joy. Suffering, what do you have for me? And I believe God says the cross. I give you the cross. I give you resurrection. I give you new life. And so if you're down, if you're feeling hopeless, will you endure? Will you wait with confidence and expectation that an unstoppable force, something that uh, where nothing can get in between is on the way. Where nothing, not even death, not even life, no height, nor power, nor authorities, none of that can get in the way. God is after you right now, today. Whether you believe that or not, God is after you and there's nothing stopping God's love from entering into your life. Nothing, nothing you can do, no regrets, no mistakes. God is after you. I hope you believe that. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you are just after us and there's nothing stopping you. And so God, as many of us, some of us, as we wait, God, would you just get rid of this now syndrome that we're all plagued with as a human condition? And God, in this waiting, would you, would you bring about confidence that you will heal, you will bring peace, you will bring growth? Because we know that it's through that, it's through death, it's through cross that resurrection and new life happens in your life as a model of what it looks like in our lives. May we have confidence in that. And may we pursue you in the midst of that. In your name we pray, amen and amen.